We're going to switch over to the head mic. If you're in the back, you can slide in and grab a seat. We are learning through, preaching through the beautiful, helpful, inspired words of Jesus' Apostle John in the first letter that we have in our Bibles. And we've been telling you that there are two themes to all of his words. They're up here in a loop on the top of the screen. Comfort and clarity. Comfort and clarity. He's writing to some Christians who had some false teachers chirping in their ears some bad theology. And it shook them. It troubled them. They began to question whether or not they were legit, true Christians. They were unassured in their souls because of this bad teaching. And so John writes to them to tell them two things. One is clarity. Here's how you can know that you are a true Christian. Clarity. And the other is comfort. It's not just here's how you could know, but, and this is who you are. He makes it clear, and then he comforts them with assurance. So in hearing these sermons all summer, you should be going, hey, that is wicked clear, and that is true about me. That's what I want to happen in your soul. Okay, here's how he does the clarity part, by giving them tests. Tests of genuine faith. They were giving you a counterfeit gospel, Here is the true gospel and the true signs of true gospel faith. In a sense, you can think of each of these tests like tests, like one of those yellow markers that you use to swipe over money to make sure that it is not counterfeit. Know what I mean by that? All right, funny story. Grace and I have been married for 23 years. In the very first year... I was still getting introduced to this very Italian family, very Italian. And one of them, Victor Fabo, Uncle Victor, owned what is now the Liberty Tree uh, restaurant right down over here. So for my birthday, my first married birthday, Grace's grandmother, Nana Grace, who she was named after, she gave me a $100 bill for my birthday. So I put it in my wallet. A couple of weeks later, I was down at Liberty Tree over here for lunch, and I bought a chicken kebab sub, and I paid with this $100 bill. And the girl changed me out, and she gave me back $92, and I ate my sub, I said hey to Victor, and I left. It was all good. About 13 hours later, Grace comes into the room in our apartment, and she says, Did you give Victor a fake $100 bill? I forget his wife's name, but she called me and she's screaming at me and wants to know why you're passing fake $100 bills. And I said, your grandmother gave me that $100 bill. I called up Victor, because now I'm scared I'm going to end up at the bottom of the Mystic River, you know, like in a bag with cement shoes. And I say, hey, I will be right over. And I go over and I say, here's my $9 for my sub. 
you can give me back my fake hundred. I'll give you the rest of the change that you gave me. I am so sorry. So he's, you know, curt with me, but kind enough, and we get it done. Thirteen hours after that, my cell phone rings, flip phone. This is 22 years ago. It's Uncle Victor, and he is apologizing profusely to me. He says, you have to come down to the restaurant. I am so sorry. You have to come down. So I drive back over, and I say, you know, what's going on? And he says, my cashier left the cap off the yellow marker overnight. And so when she went to swipe your $100 bill, she thought it was counterfeit and fake. But we realized our mistake later, and we swiped it with a, a brand new wet yellow marker, and it, it, it's not a fake $100 bill. I am so sorry, so apologetic. And then he said, you can come get a free chicken kebab sub anytime you want for the rest of your life. So I went from thinking I would be with the fishes at the bottom of the Mystic River to chicken kebab subs three days a week for free down at the Liberty Bell. You feel that? You feel that swipe of that yellow marker? Here's what we're doing today. We're being given a test, and it's a swipe across your soul. And if your soul lights up the way it is supposed to, you will have the assurance, well, I really do belong to Jesus. The test that we're going to work today is the obedience test. John gives us three, obedience test, doctrine test, love test. Today's the obedience test. Here's our big idea. True Christians obey God in all things from the heart. All right, let's pray together. Father, visit us through your word. This is such great news that there's a church here that speaks our language, that unpacks the glory of Christ in his word. I pray that we would be shaped by it and receive it together today. Hear my prayer for that and answer, I pray. Amen. All right, we're only going to work three verses together. Um, confession before I begin. I found a country western album that I actually like. I don't know what's happened in my old age, but it happened. Somebody sent me this album, Apple Music. You got to listen to this one. The guy used to be a hard rock singer. He's from the South Shore in Massachusetts, and he put out a country western album. Here's the lyrics to the title song that's called Sinner. Here's what he sings. I'm a sinner to my core. I ask forgiveness and nothing more. Except it sounds like this. I'm a sinner to my core. And he pronounces that R on there, core. I ask forgiveness, nothing more. Okay, so I heard this album. I don't know why I liked it, but I did. And I heard this lyric, and I thought, yes, no, yes, no. And I want to walk you through that because it will set up our text. So the first thing he said was, I'm a sinner. And I went, yes. It's good theology right there. By nature and by all of our choices, we are sinners. It's who we are. But then he said, to my core. And I went, no, no. 
That's not true anymore for those of us who have received the grace of God in the gospel and received the Spirit. The core of us has been changed. Now, our new nature still wrestles with our old nature, and there's some Jekyll and there's some Hyde, but Hyde is no longer our core. The center of us, our true identity, is not sinner, but son or daughter. And then he said, I asked forgiveness, and I went, yes, this is what a Christian does. We learned this last week, right? A Christian sees who God is and goes, I'm just going to come clean because he is light. And I'm going to walk in that light and honestly confess my sin. Yes, I ask forgiveness. But then he said, and nothing more. And I went, no, no. There is way more to the gospel life than simply being forgiven. We are called to a whole new life to be lived wholly to the glory of God. You feel that? All right, before we hit the words, remember the two things that John does. Number one is that he spirals. He says the same thing over and over and over and over again in this book. He's not drunk. He's not old and senile. He's not rambling. He's not boring. He is trying to drill into your soul these truths by visiting them over and over again. He actually hits on the obedience test six different times in the letter. We're just doing the first one today. The other thing that he does is he gives us this one-two punch of this, but not this. This but not this. So if you ever purchase something new and they give you pictures of how it works and they show you this is what it should look like and then they give you other pictures with a big X through it, do not do this. You know that experience? 18 years ago, my first son was born and the law says I have to take him home in a car seat in the car. So we bought a car seat and it came with this fold-out map. The thing was giant. And it had one picture that was this. And it showed a little baby sitting, nice and snug, facing toward the back of the vehicle. Then, on the back side, it had all these this, not this pictures. So there was a picture of the kid with the thing around his neck. There was a picture of the kid sitting in the front seat facing their parents as they were driving. There was literally a picture of the kid in the car seat on top of the car, and it said X. Do not leave child on top of car. You feel that? This, not this. Do you feel how both could be helpful? Affirmation and denial. Okay, John loves you and that's what he's going to do for you. Let's feel the affirmation first. Here we go. First verse. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Let's work the words together. By this we have come to know. So there's our yellow marker. Here is your test. By this we know that we have come to know Him, God. Feel the tense in here, past tense. 
This is a test to show that something is already true. This is not do these things and then we'll see if it becomes true. By this we may know that we have come to know him. Past tense. And feel that word know in there. It's so beautiful. When he says come to know him, he is not just talking about I can pass a test head knowledge. So I know a lot of things, right? I know how to play shortstop. Chris, true or false, 10 years ago I could play shortstop. He's hesitating. True. I know how the Pythagorean formula works. Does anyone still remember how that thing works? I know what time the train stopped running on the orange line. I know that because I've been stuck in the city before going, wait a minute, the trains are not running anymore? I know these things up here. This is a different kind of no. This is a personal, soul-level encounter with the living God. No. This is coming into true and genuine relationship with our Maker. By this, you can know that you've come to know God. And what's the test? If we keep His commandments. As you keep reading the letter, John will give you ten different ways to say this. If we keep His commandments. If we keep His word. If we live like Jesus lived. If we practice righteousness. If we purify ourselves. Don't get dizzy when you see all those sayings. They all mean this. Obedience. Obedience to God's law. All right, let's talk about the law of God for a second. In one sense, God has written His law where? In one sense, He has written His law right here on our hearts. We call that the moral law written on our consciences. We all know intuitively right from wrong, good from evil. We know it. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Schindler's List, but it was about 25 years ago when it first came out, and Grace and I were dating in college, and we went to see it together at the theater. Um, it was wonderful to see the movie. It felt weird to go see that movie like at 8 p.m. on a Friday night on a date. It was the wrong setting for it. Everyone in the theater was weeping by the end scene in this movie. And in that room were Christians and not Christians at all. Why were they weeping? It wasn't just the violins. It wasn't just an emotional story. It's because everyone in that room knew without anyone having to write it down for them or tell them, that was evil. To do that to image-bearing sons and daughters of God is wrong. Now, the objection comes to this teaching and says, well then, I think some Germans didn't know that, and I think some soldiers didn't know that, and I think some political leaders didn't know that. How could that have happened if we all know that is evil? And the answer is because in our fallen state, we have the ability to sear our conscience and to shout down what we know to be true. If you are on Twitter, you know, unfortunately, exactly what that looks like. 
we could talk through 10 different social issues in our day that you would go, wait a minute, everybody knows you don't do that. But we will self-justify and talk ourselves out of what we know to be true for political expediency in a million ways. We can mute and ignore and deny what we know to be true. And so in love for us, God has not just written truth on our hearts, but he has given us truth in his word. In the older covenant, this came to Moses with God literally inscribing his moral law on bricks of stone and then giving us the five books of the Torah, the law, the way, the commands of God. Jesus shows up in the New Testament and he is the greater Moses and he stands and preaches his sermon on the mount and he does not abandon the law of God. He drives it deeper into our souls. And he takes surface level application away and he says, it's not just the letter of the law, it's deeper surrender of your will to God. And then Jesus sends his apostles out and they preach and they write books of the Bible. And there's imperative upon imperative upon imperative of the moral law of God to us. And John says, if you have come to know God, you keep God's law. When you watch the life of a legit Christian, you know that something has changed inside of them. Up until that moment, they have had beef with the law of God. They have despised it. They have argued with it. They have defied it. They have danced around it. They have muted it. They have obeyed it when it's perfectly convenient. They have lived as a law unto themselves. But then, they come to see God for who he is, and their heart comes alive to this O word that they never considered before, obedience. It now becomes life and death for them to keep the commands of God. What has he called me to? Because I am all in. That's how you can know that someone is a Christian. Your Bible is flooded with stories that you're supposed to read so that you can see us, see it. Here's one, the story of Zacchaeus. Do you know this guy? Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He was a tax collector, which meant his life was built upon breaking the law of God. He betrayed his people, and he would steal from them to make a profit as he enriched the coffers of the Roman Empire. But Zacchaeus heard about Jesus and the arrival of the kingdom of God, and something in his heart began to change. And when he heard that Jesus was coming to his village, he was so desperate to see and hear and know Christ that this proud, rich tax collector climbed up into a tree like a fourth grader would do. And he is sitting up in this tree with the children, so humble. And Jesus sees him up there, and he sees and knows what's happening in his heart, and he calls him down from the tree, 
and he says, I'm coming to your house for a meal tonight. And he gospels Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus says these words to Jesus. Anything that I have stolen from anyone, I'm going to give it back to them four times over. And then Jesus says these beautiful words. He says, today salvation has come to this man and this house. How did Jesus know it? How did Jesus get out the yellow marker and swipe Zacchaeus' soul and say, this dude is a legit son of God? What was the test? Obedience. His heart came alive to the law of God, and he said, no more stealing, no more greed. I'm making this right. I'm going to give back everything that I have stolen. We could do 50 more stories. Does everyone feel this? By this you may know that you know him if you start keeping his commandments. Okay, side B, flip side. Here comes the denial. One, two, punch. If anyone says, or whoever says, now the psh is not in the text of the Bible, so I'm amplifying this. Whoever says, psh, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Okay, everybody feel this? Sometimes people will raise their hand and say, I'm a Christian. I'm good with God. But their life will not reflect any obedience or holiness. And John has some intense words. He says, that's a liar. That's a false professor. That's a fake Christian. Okay, illustration. King's College is in Manhattan. It's on the, in the very lower edge of Manhattan. And it's a Christian evangelical college. To be the president of the college, what do you need to be? In addition to super smart and accomplished and all that. What else? You need to be a Christian. You need to profess and confess and live for Christ to be the president of the school. So about six years ago, they hired a president and they heard his confession and read his stuff and thought, this guy's a Christian. Let's do it. He's going to lead us into the next season of the life of this school. But then something interesting happened. He was spotted, arm in arm, coming out of a comfort inn in South Carolina. I've never been there, but I guess there's comfort inns down in South Carolina with a woman who he wasn't married to, not his wife. And so the press did some digging into it and what had happened was he was separated from his wife, he was divorcing her, and he was engaged to this next woman. And the trustees of the school called the time out and they said, we need to sit and talk about this together. And this was one of the quotes from that time. He said, I had no idea that it, is, that it was considered wrong in Christian circles to be engaged prior to being divorced. Okay, now let's give the most charity that we can to this guy. We don't know the circumstances of his divorce. Could have been a completely legitimate situation. That happens sometimes. Um, for him to be arm in arm with another woman before this divorce has even happened, they called him and said, we got to talk. Now I'm not sure how that conversation went, but it wouldn't have surprised me if someone would have said, let's go to 1 John chapter 2. If we are Christians, and our hearts have come alive to the gospel, 
It's not just what we say or what we write. It's how we live. At the very least, they could have said, talk to us about your marriage. Talk to us about what has happened there. Let's make sure with you that we are working through you're not a Christian in name, but not in practice. You feel that? Happens all the time. Not just this president, but you and me are vulnerable to this. Now, I know that sounds weird to you in a Boston church, because if you're here this morning, you would not be here unless you, like, really genuinely either loved God or were interested in the gospel, right? There's 30,000 people in Melrose, and 29,200 of them are nowhere near church life. That's the way that it rolls here. But I have lots of friends in other parts of the country, and there's a lot of people that show up to church, and they say, I'm a Christian, but when you dig into their life, you don't see genuine obedience to God's commands. How many of your friends say to you, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but their life doesn't line up with it. I feel like for us, that's not a lot of people because my friends all just go, yo, I'm not a Christian. But in this text and in our churches and in our country, there's lots of people that that dissonance would be there. So I just want to make sure that everyone hears this denial. You can have tons of head knowledge about God and you can find books of the Bible in under 10 seconds, and you can quote systematic theology all day long and not know God. You can have the most intense and zealous religious experience in the world, but not really be a Christian. These were my youth group days, right? Friday night was youth group night. Woo, the band was like, Volume 10, going crazy. The altar call went till midnight, flaming swords for Jesus. Everybody knew that by midnight on Friday, they were Christians. But then you go hang with some of these kids at midnight on Saturday, and it's a very different story. And John is saying, here's how you know if God's work has happened in your heart. Saturday looks like Friday. You can do a million religious church things. You know this, right? You can be members of the church and have a picture of your baptism and raise your hand and pray a prayer and sign a card and be on seven teams and not actually know God and be a son or a daughter of God. You can do all of that and still be counterfeit. True love for God true belonging to him is not emotional experience, religious language, or head knowledge. It is a transformed life. That's where John lands the plane, and he gives us the heart of this whole big idea. Here's the last verse. He says these words, but whoever keeps his word, there we go again, lives a life of obedience. In him, truly, the love of God has been perfected. Everybody see the spiral thing again? Obey his commandments, keep his word. Whatever God has spoken, I'm in. Take me to his commands, and I want obedience to mark my life. That's a sign 
that you are for real. That's a sign that you are for real. And where does that obedience come from? Where does it come from? It comes from the heart. We all know what it looks like to keep rules or obey laws or hold on to commandments from places other than from love, right? You can obey someone out of straight-up fear. Have you done this before? My sophomore year in high school, I was on the JV basketball team, and our practice was from four to six. And there was this girl in my life. We weren't dating. I don't know what she was doing in my life, but she was in my life. And she said, hey, before youth group, I'll pick you up after practice at school. So I thought that was the coolest thing, right? Some girl who drives, has a car, and a license is going to pick me up. So I said, great, I'll get out at six, and I'll meet you in the parking lot. Well, this was not the sharpest tool in Everett, Massachusetts. And so she comes to pick me up, and she comes, not just into the lobby, but into the gym at 545 in the middle of our practice. And she starts asking the coaches, is Matt Cruz here? I'm picking up Matt Cruz. Is he here? And so the coach very kindly, sweetly says to her, oh, I'm sorry, we won't be done for about 15 more minutes. I'll send Matt out. And then the door clicks behind her. And then he loses his mind like no one you have ever seen lose their mind ever before. And he calls me over, and he was like 5'6", and I'm 6'3". And he grabs my jersey, and he brings me down to his face. And he starts drill sergeant screaming in my face so that the whole practice stopped. And he threatened my life. He threatened my health. He threatened my future in the school. He threatened my family. He threatened my hold. He threatened me like three generations back that if he ever saw a girl who so much as knew my name on the campus of the high school ever again, it was over. Every girl that I talked to the rest of my high school career, the very first thing I said was not, hey, I think you're pretty. Hey, would you like to whatever? I said, listen, if we become a thing, you can't come near my high school. I obeyed his commands out of what? Out of fear. We can obey out of necessity, right? So I have a, a day job. It's very important to me. It's what makes the finances of Seven Mile Road go. It's been a huge gift from God. Ultimately, God is my provider, but this is a good job. I'm good at it, and so I want to keep this job. It's a necessity in our life. So what do I do? I obey the things that they require me of this job. I'm not allowed to pull up and park my car on the grass in front of the door. There's a lot of days I would love to do that. Why don't I? The job's a necessity. I would love to show up for work at 2 in the afternoon, especially the first round of March Madness. I show up to work on time. Why do I obey that rule? Because it's a necessity. I would love to go to work in slippers and jorts and a hoodie sometimes. Why do I put on my shirt and tie and my ID? I obey the dress code out of necessity. You feel that? Okay. All of that's fine, but that is not the ground motivation for your obedience to God. The ground motivation of your obedience to God is love for Him. If you see someone who is going all out in their obedience to God, 
keeping his word in all things, John says that what's going on in there is the love of God is being perfected in their hearts. This is what true Christian obedience looks like. Okay, I have pastored some of you for 18 years, and I know what this verse looks like on the ground. Feel this with me. We, I won't mention names. We had one of you who had a brother who died. And you called me when you were preparing to give his eulogy. And on the phone you said, I don't just need help with how to say this, but I need help with my heart because Jesus says to forgive, but I have bitterness in my heart for my brother. And I'm kind of glad that he's dead. And I shouldn't be that way. Will you help me get over this and forgive him? I looked at my phone and you know what I said to myself? I know I'm talking to a daughter of God. Obedience like that from the heart only comes when the gospel has taken root. Do you feel it? One of you was in a situation where you're... Parents, maybe in-laws, were like being knuckleheads. Do you know how that works sometimes? Okay. And you were having a super hard time being holy in that relationship. And you sat with me, and I said to you, I love you, and God calls you in his law, which is good, beautiful, and true, to honor your mother and your father. And I need you to go for that. And you did two things. You cried and wept with me. And then you went and you honored them. And I remember thinking, I know that that sister is a daughter of God. Why? By this you may know that you have come to know him if you keep his commandments. I've sat with a couple of you at the table in my house with our gospel community and you did not know Jesus, and you were living in sexual sin together. And then you came to know Jesus, and you looked our group in the face and you said, we just need to talk to you guys about something. We have been having sex, and we have come to see that God's law says that sex is for inside of the commitment of marriage. And so, not only are we not going to continue that practice until married, but we're changing our sleeping, living arrangements, and we want you guys to know it. And I remember thinking, I know that these guys have come to see the glory of God, not just because they're at gospel community and they're talking the talk, but because their hearts have been set on a fire for obedience to Jesus. I know some of you who had two children and you came to the text of scripture that says, be fruitful and multiply. And you felt that in your story, having a third child was something that God was calling you to do. Except that your first two pregnancies were horrible. And you sat with me and you said, we think we want to go for this. Because we feel that God is calling us to it. Do you think we're crazy based on our medical history? Or do you think we should go for it? And I said, let's talk about it. It's up for you. And they went for it. And I remember thinking, those guys have come to know 
God for who he is and want to walk in line with what he has for them. One more. Six years ago, one of our pastors put his foot directly in his mouth in a counseling situation with a young single woman in the life of our church. And he said some things in a way that he could have said differently that would have been more helpful. And she got ticked about it, and there was strife in that relationship. And he sat with us and he said, the Bible calls me that if it's at all possible with me to be at peace with all men and women. And so I'm going to go talk to her, and I'm just going to say, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And he went, and he hunted her out, and he sat with her, and he said those words to her, and he forged peace in that relationship. And I remember thinking, I know that this brother is a Christian, that his heart is alive toward God. He was dead serious about obeying Jesus in that moment. Okay, I could give you 70 more unbelievable stories about you in the life of our church. What a delight it is to get out the yellow marker and to swipe your soul and to see that thing light up with obedience. Here's our question. Is this true for you? If we took the marker and we said, here's the obedience test, by this we will know, and we swiped your life, Does it come alive with obedience to all things from the heart? Not perfection. Later on, John says, makes a practice of sinning. That's what he means by obedience. I mean, does your heart leap to say, hey, Matt, tell me what God is calling me to and help me get there because I have to obey him for who he has made me. That's a question we want you to think on this week. Is there glad obedience to all that God commands from the heart in your life? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would come alive to you in such a way that we obey you. And I pray that our witness would not just be words, but it would be deeds. Deeds of obedience, deeds of yes to your law. I pray that right now, if any of us knows, yeah, there's some stuff in my life that does not align with the moral law of God, I pray that we would set today to say, it's got to stop because I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. And my, my, my life is going to be marked by obedience. And I pray that as we become a city on a hill of sinners who are walking in the light, that you would light up these cities with not just the witness, but the obedience of these people. Help us to believe that joy is found in saying yes to what you have for us and help us to get there. I pray that you would do it. Hear my prayer. Amen. All right, thanks for listening through that. Let it be sitting on your soul. What we do now in our service is we come down to the table of Jesus. We come not because we have been obedient enough, but because we have believed the gospel to be true and we are following him with all of our hearts. Hey, Greg, if that is true about you and you say, 
I am in with Jesus. And this meal is for you to come and be built up in your faith. If that is not you yet, no problem. We're walking with you in this. You should feel no pressure to come to the table, be standing and singing and thinking on these things with us. Okay, you can